You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Yachts and podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Uh, this is my first. This is Eric's and Jared's second podcast of the day. Sometimes that just happens uh, with the news. And today's been one of those days where it's kind of been all over the place with uh, transfer portal starting, um, the window opening up. We've got the OC reportedly being hired and Will Stein. Uh, and then there's been some names that have trickled out throughout the day with the transfer portal. And I, I think we'll start here. There hasn't really been any earth-shattering transfers beyond Justin Flo, but we never really said it on the podcast because we didn't want to speculate um, publicly, and it kind of it's unfair for us to claim we knew, you know, and, hey, we didn't tell you, but there had been whispers that Flo maybe was going to enter the portal. But nonetheless, it's still surprising to a degree. But he, I don't know the snap counts. Um, he was not playing a lot. Uh, at, no. towards the end of the football season. And I don't think uh, it would have been a surprise if you'd asked us coming off the Oregon State game if this is, if this was what would happen based off of just the lack of playing time that he was seeing. Um, he's the biggest name, former five-star recruit, one of the biggest high-profile players to ever sign at Oregon. Injuries derailed his career at Oregon. And then this season, his ineffectiveness on the field kept him off it. Um, Dante Thornton is maybe the, the second biggest name. And like we mentioned uh, Sunday night, it was. He really wasn't going to play much this season until Chase Cota got hurt. So a relatively quiet day. A lot of these guys were expected, guys that we were prepared for to leave um, – and so if you're Oregon, maybe we start here. It's just – it's been a relatively positive day. You haven't seen starters depart the program. You've seen Gonzo clearly declare and not play in the, in, in the bowl game, but no one's with eligibility is saying, hey, we're going to play somewhere else. We're not, we're not here for Oregon anymore. I think the biggest surprise has been how few names have joined the group, right? I mean, we, we yeah. enter this day knowing nine. There are currently ten. The latest addition, as Matt said, is Justin Flo, which, again, I don't think any of us are surprised. And I, I, I tweeted out probably a couple hours ago that uh, this the 10 players that have left the program that are on scholarship, there are some walk-ons as well. But the, of those 10 guys, Dante Thornton's the only one to play basically more than 10 snaps per game over the last half of the season. Nobody else played more than 60 snaps total over the last six games other than Thornton, who played about 100 and I think it was like 160. Um, Flo, huge, huge name, Cardwell, big name, Butterfield, the guy people were excited about. 
Swinson, same thing. A lot of this is more untapped potential, though, than anything else yeah. that they did at Oregon. And, and for Flo in particular, um, Matt, you said you didn't know the snap carrots. I looked it up right before we jumped in. 178 this season. He played 58 over the last six, and he played 11 over the last three. It's a guy that basically had moved on from playing the, the, the divorce, if you will, makes sense. I'm not trying to diminish the upside we thought we had but here. I know all... tells us that. Yeah, but he, this is a guy who just kind of fell out of favor, didn't play a whole lot early on because of injury. This year, I just kind of think he wasn't the athlete that we thought he'd be. You know, you, you saw the issues in coverage. He was really bad in coverage. PFF will tell you that. Um, you know, his tackling in space was a problem at times, just a step slow. So I, I hope for Justin and presumably his brother, Jonathan, who, by the way, hasn't entered the portal officially, but you expect will probably follow suit. Um, kind of disappointed that this is the conclusion for Flo's career, but you just hope the guy finds another spot where he can revive his career and, and go from there. But like just to kind of recap the who they've lost portion of the show, I don't know if we need to run through the whole list. I think regular listeners are pretty aware um, but, I think we should. Okay, I'll just do it really quickly, I guess. Uh, or do you want to do it, Matt? It's fine either way. I mean, I'm Brandon Buckner, Justin Flo, Byron Cardwell, Jackson LeDuke, Dante Thornton, Bram Walden, Seven McGee, Jay Butterfield, Terrell Tillman, Braden Swenson, and then Adrian Jackson left the start of the season. And then Aaron Smith is a walk-on that's also included. Malachi Russell is also included. Um, there's been a couple other walk-ons that have also gone. So... Uh, 11 total since fall camp started 10 in the last three or four days. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. There's your list. You got 10 guys. Uh, we'll get into why that number needs to be bigger later on when we kind of get into some of the scholarship math and map out the chart right now. Matt did, has a chart ready to go that we can kind of look into in a little bit, but I guess Jared to you, like, is there, are we, are we sleeping on any of these guys that have left or is it just kind of fair to say, Hey, the 10 players that are going are probably going to play more than they played at Oregon. And aside from Thornton, who we should note his playing time at the end was aided by the fact that there was an injury to Coda and he had been kind of out of the rotation. He didn't play at all against Arizona, but like outside of Thornton, none of these guys were really playing. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll look up, probably next season and where these guys eventually lead to kind of like Trey Benson. You're like, wow, look at the season that he put up there and kind of reminisce and say, wow, well, he might've been able to do that at Oregon. And I think mostly that's going to be Dante Thornton's situation. Um, I think that he's going to be the most impactful transfer, but again, gets onto the field only after a chase code injury for a majority of the snaps in the season, and the majority of the yards on the season that he, that he had on paper, these look like, poor losses because a lot of them were from the 2021 class. A lot of them were from or were four-star high school or four-star prospects come out of high school. You know, I could see that, again, like I said, it, you, you could look back in a year or two and be like, wow, well, why couldn't they have done that at Oregon? Well, you know, like like what was mentioned in the comments section here, a lot of those guys were Mario's people or they're his recruits. Maybe they don't fit what Dan Lenning wants to do or what Will Stein wants to do on offense now that he's presumably going to be the offensive coordinator. Um, I think that this was an interesting day for Oregon, that they only had one guy into the transfer portal. I wouldn't necessarily look at it as like a great thing because they need yeah. guys to enter the transfer portal because they have too many people on paper for their team next year. Um, so I think it was, yeah, I was very excited for the transfer portal. Still am. Uh, it was a really good like news day, I would say, overall for the transfer portal with the guys going in. For Oregon, it was lackluster. 
I expected there to be be more guys, and I think there still will be because you know it's just the first day of the portal. We have 44 more days of this to go, um, and there's still the rest of today for someone to potentially leave. So I think it's going to be. I, I, again, I don't I don't want to put a number on it or anything like that, but I don't think that this is going to be as slow a, a day in the future as it is today. Uh, I think there's going to be more than like one guy who just leaves today. Um, it just happened to be Justin Flo, who's a big-time five-star recruit. Um, I just think injuries just derailed his career. I think that's what really really did him in. I think the explosiveness you saw in the Fresno State game in his first like full year back, a potential full year back, it was just not on display at all this past season. And then he got injured during the season, missed two games due to injury. I think he was in a boot at one point as well. You just – you just kind of feel for the guy. I think injuries have really taken away his athleticism. I think he still plays with a lot of passion and heart. And he ended, and you know he talked about that a lot in, in his interviews about how much passion he plays with. But I'll, I'll be interested to see where he goes to school next. Um, I'm sure a lot of guys, a lot, excuse me, a lot of schools are going to be suitors just because of the name value that he has, the five-star category that he was in in high school. He was the best linebacking prospect in high school out of the class of 2020 above Noah Sewell. Um, those two careers have just gone much differently up until this point. But I would say overall, these are these are guys who can make an impact at a, at a lesser program and get some time, get some playing time there. But I don't think it's going to be too big of a miss for Oregon moving forward. That's for sure. Yeah, I think Justin Flo could turn into a really good player. But what we saw on the football field this season was a player who the previous two years couldn't really practice because of injury. So development's been slowed down. And then when you remember his high school career at Upland, it was basically, hey, you 10 guys, this is what you're doing schematically. Justin Flo, just go do whatever you want to do. Go go be Justin Flo. And he didn't have to read and react. He didn't have to understand leverages and all of that at the high school level. And unfortunately, when you combine two years without practicing because of injuries, this is what we saw on the field. You know, he was out of position so many times. And, you know, that, that just can't happen at this level. But now I think he could go somewhere. Um, Brendan Crabtree says he thinks he, he's going to go to Miami. I would probably agree with that. Um, I, I, I think you could see in a couple of years with some practice time, going through spring practice a couple of times, he turns into the player we all imagined uh, he would be at Oregon, and we get an instance like Jared said, oh, look at Trey Benson. Look what he did at Florida State this season. We could have that same kind of conversation um, with Justin Flo at Miami. And we should also note, like, there could be more players that submitted their names into the portal today that haven't been submitted yet. Schools have 48 hours to do it. They don't have to immediately do it. Um, you know, it, we don't know how big the stack is. We don't know how long the time process it takes to get all the paperwork done, submit their name into the portal. It could be two seconds. It could be 45 minutes. I don't know um, for how long from an administrative standpoint it takes to enter your name into the portal. Uh, so maybe there's another you know group that we're going to see um, – enter the portal tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Chip, 
I'm, I, I'm sorry, bud, but yes, Justin Flo is in the portal. Um, I hate to break the news. To I hate you. to break the yeah. news to you. <laughs> uh, he is in the portal. Um, where does this leave Oregon now from a scholarship standpoint going into the Alamo Bowl? Or I keep saying the Alamo Bowl in my head. It's the Holiday Bowl. I'm so stuck on last year. Uh, Oregon has 73 available scholarships uh, in play right now ahead of the Alamo. I just did it again. The Holiday Bowl. <laughs> Matt, uh, we're, going to, we're going to San Diego. Hopefully your flight. You should check your flight. Make sure you're going to the right place. I, I, am, I am booked to the right place. Uh, I know that for a fact. All right, good. Um, 73 scholarship players. That doesn't account for guys like Popo Amave, who's hurt. Guys, it, it, it could get down to 65, maybe even below that number um, when we factor in injuries uh, and guys that are – or maybe guys that transfer out. So Oregon currently 73 available scholarships. 13 of those guys are seniors. Um, there's a couple on here that are up in the air. Obviously, Bo Nix. We do know Popo Amave is trying to get a sixth year of eligibility. Uh, Caleb Chapman is listed as a senior on the Godux roster, but he did not walk at senior day. So he's potentially coming back, maybe. Um, it would be really weird if he's you know, moving on from college football and didn't walk in that scenario. Um, and then there's also like a guy like Stephen Jones, who's a junior that did walk. Um, there's also Brandon Dorless who faces an NFL decision. There's no Sewell that faces an NFL decision. But like Jared said, if Oregon wants to sign the 24 guys that they've got currently committed to this program and they want to add four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players via portal, there's going to need to be probably another seven or eight guys that that hit the portal and leave this program to open up the, that space and how they get there, I think is the interesting aspect of it. Um, we didn't include this on in the show notes, live podcasting here where maybe they could position wise. We're not going to name names. We don't want to do that, but I think positionally there's a couple areas that you could look at and say, yeah, th there's, there's space here for, for a transfer. I think receiver is one. I think offensive line is another one. Um, and then I think we might see the DBs get hit by a couple of guys who could be leaving because they're probably going to get recruited over, whether it's a high school guy, a JUCO guy, or a transfer portal guy. Yeah, Matt. And I, I think it's important to go through that scholarship math so people understand that, okay, you're at 10 and you don't go, hey, cool, they, they, they've done it. No, they, they have more. Jared, someone just yeah. joined? Did someone just join uh, the portal? Yes, Jabril McNeil, no longer an Oregon Duck. Uh, just breaking news uh, for those listening. Jabril McNeil is now entering the transfer portal. Uh, so Jared, Jared can you get my story published for me while we while I, while I talk? <laughs> sure. Okay. Why not? Thank you, Jared, for doing that. Uh, no, and just to kind of peel back layers, I was actually literally just about to say this before Jared broke some some portal news with the Jabril McNeil transfer. We have thirteen more players. Well, now we have twelve that we've already created stories preparing for them to transfer. And these aren't guys we've necessarily heard for sure, but that just makes sense. Like there's a bunch of names. I think those listening probably have a good idea of who those guys are. And the reason we've created so many what we call shell stories is because, as Matt said, they need to shed players. And I know it sounds kind of harsh, but the reality is in today's college football, 
with the portal, with, with how many players are recruiting from a prep level, and with a smaller senior class, Oregon badly needs to actually move off players. 11 players transferring out isn't enough. They, they, as Matt said, probably need to get closer to 18, 17, 18, somewhere in that range to be able to. Um, and, and, of course, depends on some of these NFL decisions. Matt laid out who those guys are. But they're, they're going to need more players to leave. It would be a positive for the program for more players to leave so that they can go out and, and sign all these players in this highly regarded 23 class, but then also continue to add players to that class, but add players from the portal. Um, so, you know, the the positions that Matt ran through, I guess, just to continue that conversation, that makes sense. We've done a little bit of this before, but like, yeah, I think there are wide receivers currently on the team who either aren't playing or don't figure to play next year. I, I think it's you kind of look through the roster and go, several of those guys are out there. There's the same thing on the offensive line with a couple of players. I don't know if you'd trim the fat too much there, but there's probably a player or two there that makes sense to move on from. Edge position and middle linebacker positions, I think you've kind of already seen a lot of that fat trimmed, if you will. Um, what, five of the 11 players are coming from edge or inside linebacker, I believe, right now. So I'm not sure how much more room there is to cut, but there's probably a couple of players that would make some sense. And as Matt said, I think the big subtractions will come at corner and safety. And because of the nature of a couple of these players roles on this year's team i wouldn't be surprised if those players stick around through the bowl and enter you know at the back end of the 45 day window um because there are players who are currently starting on this team who have additional eligibility who can decide like three guys off the top of my head again not trying to point out who's going to leave or not but like steve stevens has a decision to make brian addison has a decision to make jamal hill has a decision to make these are all guys who have one more year of eligibility left but have been in college because of the COVID year either four going on five years or five going on six years. And I'll be honest, based upon what we saw this year, Addison's probably the only player who you you would love to have back. I think the other two started and had good moments, but in totality, you're probably going to be a better off finding replacement players. And that sounds kind of cutthroat, but that's also unfortunately that's where we're on college football now and, and i think that's, that's part works. and i think that's what dan was getting at on sunday night when he was like is this really where we wanted to be because with the portal and all the movement it does force both both sides to be cutthroat right you know mm -hmm. you, you've got to have i mean i hate to say it but there's going to be players and i use the term trim the fat that's probably a bad expression in term but like the reality is there are going to be players that you have to move on from that actually ends because you want to get better as a program and they're in that spot so um Currently 11 out, breaking news with Jabril McNeil. But I do think this number gets closer to 20. And I think that's going to be for the best because you want to see Oregon be pretty darn aggressive in the portal this year. And I don't know if we want to transition now to some of the names that have entered that are interesting or, or kind of where Jared wants to go next. So kind of send it to him and let him decide. But um, I, I think from a numbers perspective, as Matt established and I kind of tried to build off of, they have – they, they need more players to enter the portal. That's a necessity if they're going to sign the 24-player class there and continue to add. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that that's how college football is, where the head coach has to go tell guys, like, look, we're, we wouldn't mind if you left and just say, like, hey, this we're, we're planning on, uh, you know, recruiting guys out of the portal or just out of high school that are going to probably fill your position and outplay you in the, in the fall and the spring. Mm -hmm. Um, but you saw it yesterday with the viral video that went around of Deion Sanders, like gathering the team together and telling them, hey, guys, uh, I have I have baggage coming and it's Louis referencing like Louis Vuitton baggage from Jackson State that he's going to bring. Um, that's just how it's going to be. And, and those conversations 
happened. Deion Sanders was happened to be in front of a film crew and was posted to Twitter. But those are the conversations that go on inside of the Oregon Ducks locker room, inside of every locker room across the country who wants to get better. Because the nice thing about the transfer portal is if you're if you're a, you know a fresh coach like Dan Lanning or Kalen DeBoer or uh, Lincoln Riley at USC, you can bring some of your guys that you had at your past school that you know are really good and that you know are better than what you're going to. And that's probably what Deion Sanders is going to do. Dan Lanning now has the second time a full offseason at this point uh, to, to get into the transfer portal and really look after guys and see where he can make an adjustment on his defenses and consult with Tosh Lupoy and any of the offensive analysts and coordinators now. Um, so again, it's just it, this is just how college football is. It's unfortunate, but um, with the amount of players that are entering the portal, it would make zero sense if a head coach wasn't going to go after him. I mean, unless you're Dabo Sweeney, who who's, sticks it to the man and doesn't take a transfer portal guy, um, it just makes a, a, an abundance of sense because you look at the guys in the transfer portal for Oregon right now, a lot of them were four stars. Even Justin Flo is a five-star. Those guys didn't pan out. And I'm not saying every transfer portal guy will pan out, but you at least have some credibility, some framework here of their experiences during college. And you could point to that moment when they're playing in a real collegiate game and say, hey, that guy is pretty good. And they have a long track record of being pretty good. We should get him on the team. Um, speaking of getting players on the team, oh, excellent transition. There's a lot of good targets out there. And I don't know where we really want to begin with this, if we all just have like a list we want to go through. Um, I think we start here. Check. Let's do it. Oh, we've got a question. Oh, oh. look at us. Wow. We're <laughs> learning us. on the fly for everybody who doesn't know. This is our, like, our first live stream doing like yeah. this. Yeah, so, so if you want to ask questions. Excellent job, Matt. Excellent. Drop drop them in. Uh, I'll monitor it. And when I see fit, we'll throw one in. But this is, I think, a good spot to, to start with. Um, Brooks asked, does not – if Bonix does not return to Oregon, does Frank Harris from UTSA – their star quarterback, does he transfer with um, Stein to Oregon? And I think we maybe flip it from just not just Frank Harris. Does any of the Roadrunners, terrific nickname, by the way. The be- one uh, of the best. One of the best. Yeah, up there. One of the best out there. I think you open it up to saying, well, any UTSA player, I think it's fairly unlikely that a defensive player will follow an offensive coordinator. But, hey, maybe there's a connection there. I don't know. Offensively, though, I I almost shade to know this won't happen unless it's maybe one of their star receivers. But then in that instance, why is a star receiver going to go to Oregon when they already kind of have Troy Franklin established? Unless Stein really thinks like, you know, these guys are going to be the difference from Oregon being a Pac-12 contending team to maybe a college football playoff team. But I almost think no. I don't think any player from UTSA comes. I think there's probably a better chance a analyst or a, an assistant assistant coach comes with him, much like Somerville did with Maringer from New Mexico. It's an interesting one. And, you know, you look through – I mean, I, the, the hard part with quarterback is we really don't know what's going on with Bo. I think we all assume Bo is, is sticking around for a year. And if that's the case, then it doesn't make any sense to bring Harris – Hudson Card was a name we brought up on, and I think somebody else, I think I saw that name. Oh, I, I see it right to the right here, one of the last mm-hmm. questions um, about Hudson Card, Texas quarterback. And the reason that makes sense is because Stein was his 
position coach, offensive coordinator in high school. Um, so they've got a, a long – any idea how the OC hire is progressing is the most recent question. Well, they've, I think they've gotten there. We're talking about it right now, Tony, uh, in, the, in, the, in the comments. Um, but, yeah, Will Stein is expected to be the offensive coordinator. That was announced uh, earlier today. That, that not Oregon hasn't officially announced it, but it's been reported. Um, and we're currently discussing if any players from that program, UTSA, which I've been told, don't say San yeah, Antonio, say Texas. Texas, San Antonio, yeah. yeah that is against – that is not – does not sit well in that area. So I will just continue to use the abbreviation, which is easier anyway because it's four letters and rather than like 15. Um, but, no, I – I, I, I kind of look at – I didn't count it, Jared. I have no idea what it actually is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, no, I, I look at it and say I don't think Harris makes sense because to me, unless unless it's just a situation where this guy is so damn good that Stein is like, we have to bring him. And this is the Cam Ward following his offensive coordinator to Washington State situation, which it could be. But I kind of think they've got it it's set up at quarterback where it's either Bo or it's – Hudson card makes a lot of sense or it's uh, Ty Thompson slash Dante Moore slash somebody in that, that age makes more sense next year than Harris. And then if you look at the receivers here again, I, this damn COVID thing makes it so tough, but their top guys are all seniors. So I have no idea if Zakari Franklin or Joshua Cephas, um, if anybody in the comments knows, you can let me know if those guys have an extra COVID year or not. Those guys both had about a thousand yards receiving at UTSA <laughs> this last year. They are seniors. Their third leading receiver, DeCorion Clark, had about 750 yards receiving, also listed as a senior. So it's possible one of those three guys is eligible to uh, to make the move, but it's also possible because I don't, I'm, we're kind of just on the fly. That those people are out of eligibility from a year's perspective because all three are listed as a senior. So I'm kind of going to hedge with Matt and say probably not. Yeah, I would I would agree. Just probably not. That it just depends how, how really good those guys are. And I you know made a reference earlier to Arizona's wide receiver whose name still escapes me, even though Eric told me it earlier. Who came Jacob, from UTEP? Jacob, Jacob Cowing. 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 Um, that's a guy who who was a dude and had some of the best uh, schools going after him in the transfer portal last season. Ends up at Arizona. Um, I'd I'd like to transition this question if sort of a if the Bo Nix doesn't return, is it Hudson Card? Is it somebody else? Because if this hypothetical situation happens where Nix doesn't return, mm -hmm. Oregon is going to have their a lot of a lot of picks here at a potential transfer quarterback. Um, a lot. Just to, like a lot, like just a few names. Uh, Devin Leary, who was excellent at North Carolina State before uh, having a, I think it was a shoulder injury that he had. Um, Clemson quarterback DJ Uyunglele, as we know, has entered the transfer portal. He's a he's a big name guy, big name profile. Was decent at Clemson. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Um, and then obviously you have Hudson Carr, but you also have Spencer St Sanders, who transferred from Oklahoma State. And I think he has one year of eligibility. It would be a very similar situation uh, potentially for Knicks if if Knicks opts to not use his other year of eligibility. Um, I think for Oregon. I think well, we could take this a couple of ways, but if Nix isn't to return, there's a lot of good names out there that could potentially fill in. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing DJ Uyunglele. I have always been a supporter of his. I think he was mismanaged at Clemson. Their offensive line has not been good. 
And I'm not saying Oregon's offensive line is going to be great next year, but they have a lot of guys returning who have showed in moments during games where they are actually pretty darn good. Um, it would also help him going to the West Coast, it's where he's from. He's a Southern California kid. I know Oregon is in Southern California, but I think a lot of the Pac-12 schools should be after him, especially those needing a quarterback. Um, I think what Will Stein does as an offense could be pretty useful to DJ in terms of quick hitting guys, um, quarterback runs, a, a power, a, a hard physical running back type mentality of, of a run game. I think he could fit in pretty well, um, but I, I would also really like to see uh, Devin Leary, the North Carolina State quarterback, because he was outstanding the season before his injury. But there will be no shortage of good quarterbacks in the transfer portal if Bo Nix does not return for his last year of eligibility. Yeah, Bo Nix needs to be the number one recruit that Dan Lanning, uh, Will Stein, and the rest of the Oregon coaching staff focuses on right now. Because if you can get if you can get Bo Nix back. Um, yeah. at Oregon, even if it's just for one year, that allows Dante Moore, and there was a question about Dante Moore, um, if he's still firm. Yes, he's still firm. Dan was there. And then Scott asks, could could he start? I think yes. That would be a possibility for Oregon. But I – and this is no knock on Dante. Um, starting a true freshman, I think, limits the ceiling that your team has from a potential standpoint – and at least on paper, you can see a pathway to Oregon kind of reloading here and competing for a Pac-12 championship and going into the month of November where if things go right, it's a much easier schedule non-conference-wise in 2023. You put yourself in position for in November where you're a player in that college football playoff chase. Not saying you're going to be a favorite or anything of that nature, but you just want to go into November knowing you have a chance and I think if Bo Nix comes back along with a couple other key pieces, that's a real possibility for Oregon to go into that that month. But like Jared said, if he doesn't come, they have plenty of options. And mm -hmm. ideally, if you're Oregon, you've got your OC hired now. Now it's – you don't want to rush Bo, but you kind of want to know at least the next couple of weeks, maybe before you go to that bowl game, so that you have – a clear understanding of what you need to accomplish post bowl before the, you know, the window closes and, and, you know, some of these players start making decisions. Um, one player, I think that Oregon definitively needs to jump in on because there's a path for playing time. There's a big need here. We've talked about it multiple times on this podcast from a recruiting standpoint of, of tackle and finding another tackle because there's just not a lot of bodies here is you let him leave the area when he was at Thurston high school a couple yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, and understandably so why you let him leave. He's turned into a all league mountain West left tackle at Nevada, Justin Strack. Um, his dad played at Oregon. He was a three-star prospect, just landed a, a, an Oregon state, a Washington state, um, I think a couple other Pac-12 schools have also offered him scholarships. Played his prep, his prep football, again, like I said, at Thurston in Springfield. Um, 6'5", 292 pounds, really good left tackle. I think would be a really good right tackle for you with Josh Connerly being your left, but would give you a guy with college experience 
It ties in the local connection here as well. And it fills a position that even though <clears throat> they've recruited well here, they don't have a lot of tackle bodies. And that's kind of what we said a couple of days ago on our preview you know, portal podcast is they don't have tackles and they need more of them. You know, I'm with you. Um, Stark is a guy who, yeah, you said he's from the area. He's, I, I'm pretty sure, grew up a Duck fan. As you said, his dad was a player here. And I, I, I would imagine it's somebody Oregon is certainly aware of. He entered the portal, by the way, and Brennan Huffman had a story. Like, he had more offers in, like, 15 minutes of entering the portal than he did as a prep player. Like, as a guy who – and, this, and th- th- these are the reasons why the portal is great. Because a kid like Grant Stark goes to Nevada – and doesn't have a whole lot of big interest. Plays a couple of years there. He gets a chance now to play at a big school. And that that that's the reason the portal is great. There's reasons the portal isn't great, but this is one of those potential feel-good stories where he could come back and finish his career at a place like Oregon, maybe go to Oregon State, somewhere else in the Northwest, kind of closer to home. Um, in general, though, Matt, I'm in agreement. They need more tackle bodies. I think offensive tackle is a huge priority this cycle. It has to be. Um, Kind of tying in the question about is it feasible for Dante Moore to to start as a quarterback as a true freshman would be the same response I would have to somebody who might nobody has done this I don't think but to, who might suggest uh, well if they were to get uh, you know uh, why am I blanking on the name of the right tackle or the the offensive tackle from the state of Iowa who visited for Caden the Washington Caden if they were to get Caden Proctor hypothetically you would say, well, he should he should start day one. He's a number one offensive line recruit in the country. And while that very much may be the case, just like it's very much the case that someone of Dante Moore's capability could start day one at Oregon, you've already seen how many times a kid has come in with a five-star designation, taken longer, or just never panned out. And mm-hmm. I, I think you want to – I think with the portal, what it offers you is is more certainty with these positions. How many people last year around the same time were saying – they didn't want Bo Nix here because it was going to get in the way of Ty Thompson's development. And now look where we are now, where a lot of the same people think Ty Thompson stinks. I'm frankly not one of those people. I still want to give Ty the benefit of the doubt. I'm not sure if it'll ever happen at Oregon. I'm probably guessing based upon what we've heard, some of the Bo Nix stuff and, and with Dante and maybe going after another player in the portal that it, it won't be a Ty Thompson, won't ever have his success at Oregon. But you just don't know with these five-star kids. So to the to the more question and then to kind of fill in a little bit of the offensive line thing, I think it's worthwhile of, of going and trying to find experienced players to challenge the young guys across the board. And I certainly think that's the case at quarterback and offensive line. Um, Matt, would you like to read the question you put on the screen? <laughs> yeah, Robert says, wide receiver, offensive tackle, everything – on defense. <laughs> Everything. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I, I love the idea. And I also think um, Eric with his uh, hunter. Not our time. Eric. Other Not Eric. our Eric. Uh, but Eric with a C. Eric with a C says punter big time. Yes. Um, hunter big time. And, and look, Robert also thought punter as well. Um, I, I think special teams is important. Um, but yeah. You need talent at receiver. You need talent at, at offensive line. Maybe if Nick's leaves, maybe definitely if Nick's leaves, you go hit the portal um, for another quarterback. But <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate you. <laughs> and then defensively, there's, I mean, the, 
There's some names. There's a lot of stuff to to yeah to to address there, and it's pretty shocking to be honest with you. Um, of just how bad, at least from my perspective, things really got. Like, I, beginning of the year, you're like, okay, maybe they're not going to be as good here. But to see what happened towards the end of the season in certain areas was pretty surprising. And look, maybe these are players that just don't fit the system that that Oregon wants to run, and it puts thing, you know, puts those guys behind the eight ball a little bit, and. Trying to you know, trying to look at it from a half class pole perspective, I think is really hard, but it, it's going to require a, a, a almost a total reload here for Oregon. There's not a lot of guys I, I think defensively you you look at and say yes, he is really good, and I feel like he's going to be really good for years to come too. I, I think there's a lot of guys you just go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm in total agreement, and it, I'm, not, I'm not sure if we've gone over this on the podcast or if we just talked about it off. It's just that I looked at the pro football focus position grades for, throughout the conference on defense. I did an offense as well, but just of like where Oregon starters stack up among conference players, and it was pretty staggering. Like the only guys, there very few guys were top five or six at their position groups. Um, you looked at the defensive line, and you had Casey Rogers and Jordan or Jordan Riley. Those guys are both very much middle of the conference on, in terms of defensive, interior defensive linemen starters. Brandon Dorless was, I think, sixth among kind of defensive end edge rushers. DJ Johnson, middle to back half at his position. Uh, Jeffrey Bossa, 24th out of 25 starting inside linebackers, considered basically the worst in the conference at that spot. And that's a guy who does have eligibility back. Noah Sewell was like sixth, so they think he's pretty good. He might come back. He might not. Right, we don't know. Same thing with Doorless. So so far, we've got mm-hmm. two of your top guys might come back, might not. At corner, people are going to be surprised by some of this, but Christian Gonzalez, very highly regarded. We know he's gone. Triquez Bridges actually was sixth amongst all uh, starting corners in the conference, which again will surprise some folks. I'm still not super sold. His best position is corner. I, if if yeah. I had my druthers, if you could get a couple cut, straight up good cover guys, put him at safety next to maybe a Brian Addison who PFF which also was. That was spring spring practice. That was those were the starting safeties. Maybe maybe that should be the starting safeties next year. I know Jared was a big fan of that at the time, but mm-hmm. I'm running through this and saying, and then and then the other safeties like Bennett Williams was pretty highly regarded, but he's out of eligibility. And then Steve Stevens and Jamal Hill were both like I think 19th for Hill out of 24 safeties, and I want to say Stevens was 21st or something. I, I don't have it all in front of me, but this is my memory. Basically, was saying like you had Doralis, you had Sewell, you had. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, you had uh, Triquez Bridges, and you had Bennett Williams. That's five. Five of your eleven starters were top ninety percentile in the conference, basically. And half those guys aren't coming back, and it's a tough spot. Like, and I, th- I do think it's correct to say they need to address a lot. They have a lot of work to do in the portal, and they have to make sure that a lot of the players that are developmental pieces develop. I saw someone ask. Like, is it make sense? I, I could, I'm not sure how far back I could find it, but uh, about like, does it make sense to move Jeffrey Bossa to safety? Maybe he's best off at nickel. Like maybe maybe, yeah, maybe that's know. where you put the guy, but I don't know if he's good enough, going to hold up in a coverage perspective there either. He might be almost like a weird tweener, which is why I think he made sense as somebody in the box, but he can't play there because he's terrible in run defense. Again, like his PFF grade was like, the color that it indicates he's not good, which is bright red. Like the, as the colors schemes go, 
dark green is like you're really good, and then all the way down to bright blue. red. Blue is like you're really good. Uh, blue, blue, blue. I haven't even – Oregon has so few really good players. Yeah, I, I was going to say. But like you go all the way down. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, there's There are, I think, very few players who are – certainly returning who you feel great about on defense it's it's a potential it's not a potential it is a big concern and you saw it bite them at the end of the year where they yep. get demolished by a pass heavy offense and then demolished by a run only offense in the matter of three games it is going to be a complete rehaul and luckily for oregon there are some really damn good names in the transfer portal uh, Fentral cypress is a cornerback out of virginia uh 24 7 has him as the the, the best quote unquote best transfer portal guy right now um he's a dude and then you have tony grimes cornerback out of unc who was a former five-star recruit reclassified to the class of 2020 still has a couple more years of eligibility remaining i mean those would be the 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 big guys um the alabama cornerback whose name is escaping me that oregon offered as well earlier this week uh he's a he's a guy that oregon could go after and should go after matt you had it right Kyrie Kyrie jackson Kyrie Jackson is another guy. Um, my biggest get or the potential biggest get that I think Oregon could do is getting Mason Cobb, who's an Oklahoma State yeah. linebacker. He's been mentioned in the chat a couple of times. Um, I think he has one or two years remaining in eligibility, um, but he he's was – boom. He's got two years remaining of eligibility. Um, he's damn good. He's a very good linebacker. He's been very productive at Oklahoma State. Um, despite playing in the Big 12, Oklahoma State's defense has been one of the betters, better sides of the ball in the last two years, um, especially in in the 2020 and the COVID-shortened season, which, you know, whatever, it's the COVID season. Um, but there's got to be an addressed positional need at linebacker. Um, Dan Lanning, and that's his specialty, coaching linebackers and outside linebackers. Um, that's the one that they need to hit the hardest, I think, that cornerback getting a few defensive linemen in there um losing jordan riley kind of hurts because i thought that he was a pretty darn good run stuffer just a big body probably one of the biggest people on the team by far um they need to get somebody like that again in the transfer portal you can't rely on potential development of, of sir Mel's or ben roberts who i don't know if sir Mel's got a lot of game time but ben roberts was out there with third team defense when games were in blowout situations you can go and get these types of players. Um, to Missy Adelai, who is a former five-star of Texas A&M, he hit the transfer portal early. He's a guy who that I think that Oregon should go after. Just That's more of a projection-based one because he's a true freshman last season or this past season. You get him for a couple more years. Maybe he develops into that five-star status. Um, there's There just needs to be a complete overhaul of the defense, like both Matt and Eric said. Eric gave us the nice PFF numbers there, but – Boy, those are not nice if you're an Oregon defensive staff player or person looking at them because, I mean, PFF does a really nice job of, of kind of helping like with offensive line and defensive line play and things that just the natural eye doesn't see and really reviewing all the game tape. But by the end of it all, all of Oregon's inefficiencies on defense were just so blatant and completely obvious that it all came crashing down, like Eric said, in the last couple of games. We're going to answer one question from Ryan and then we're going to take a break and we'll then field more questions from those in the chat. By the way, we have over 200 people. That's uh, pretty great. This live stream, right which is absolutely tremendous. Um, so if you are watching live, 
share it on social media right now and also make sure to like us. It helps us in, in two ways. One, by sharing it on, on social media yourself. It spreads the, the show. Two, by liking it, it helps the algorithm on YouTube, which is always a good thing. And then those are two things that are free that you can do to help the show. Um, so drop your questions into the chat. We'll get to those um, after the break. But we're going to answer Ryan's here. Um, any other names with past ties to Oregon that jump out as portal targets? I don't have past ties to Oregon beyond just, hey, they are in the same conference as Oregon. Because there are players that have come out of the Pac-12 into um, the portal that I think make a lot of sense for Oregon. We touched on a couple of these um, in the Friday show, I believe it was, where we kind of previewed the portal. But since then, there's been new names. Um, Washington State star receiver, uh, Deshaun Stribling, six foot three, very similar body type to Dante Thornton, 51 catches, 602 yards, five touchdowns this season. He is in the portal. That is a guy I think he's not necessarily like, hey, automatic, go get him right now. But maybe you go for the big, big dog at receiver. And if that doesn't happen, Stribling would be a really good secondary option for you to hit. Jared mentioned him, Dorian Singer. Uh, or no, you you mentioned Cohen, the YouTube trans, the YouTube, UTEP transfer to Arizona. The I third best Singer, guy, though. You did, I okay. Couldn't remember his name, but. Yeah, Dorian Singer, this season, 1,105 yards, six touchdowns, 66 receptions. He is in the portal. I'm really surprised that he is in the portal. Uh, I don't know why. Very productive player, but this is what happens, and this is why at the beginning of the show, we were like, hey, it's kind of been a good, from a big-name perspective, it's been a good thing for Oregon because this is what happens. Alabama's lost like three starting offensive linemen today which is just wild to think about. But Dorian Singer is a big play receiver, a guy that's put up big numbers out of Arizona. I think you have to go and get this guy. You have to try. Jackson Turner from Arizona as well, star safety, their best defensive player. I understand Arizona is not a powerhouse program defensively the last few years, but like we said previously, look at Christian Gonzalez. You can go to bad teams and find good players and that would be a player that could help fill a need for Oregon um, next season defensively. And then go look at Stanford's transfer portal additions uh, on, on 24-7 sports. I mean, there's a lot of guys here that could help Oregon on defense. I, don't, I understand Stanford was not very good, but individually they've got some guys that could really help you, you know, their star linebacker, their team captain, Levani Dumani. Um, Arenas DiComoso is another linebacker that that played and was was pretty productive. He will have a lot of options. Um, they've got a couple edge guys that make a lot of sense. Uh, Stephen Heron Jr. is one of them. Um, they are going to have some players that are productive players that have started multiple seasons into the portal because of David Shaw's transfer that you have to consider. Those are just a couple of names within the league that have some loose ties to Oregon to answer Ryan's question from my from my view of the portal today. No, I, I think those are really good names, Matt. I, I don't have a lot more with Oregon ties. I was just looking through decommitments from the last few cycles. I think the only one I found in the last three, and maybe I'm missing somebody. You guys can let the chat knows. Um, 
Avante Williams is a guy from Miami who was committed to Oregon, high, highly rated player. Looking at his production, I don't know if it's a fit. He had like decent season in 2021. This year it looked like he ended up, I don't know, didn't play much basically. Um, I'm not sure if that's a fit. Positionally, again, safety is a spot where they certainly need to improve their speed and, and general athleticism. Williams is an a really good athlete, so that makes sense just on a bare bones thing. But lack of playing time and early production at Miami leads me to believe that's maybe not as good of a fit as it might sound on paper. If you're just going, hey, here's a top 60 guy who committed to Oregon in 2020 who's now back on the market. That sounds better than if you dive in and go, well, he had like 32 career tackles and and it kind of looks like he lost out on playing time to close his career. Speak, so Trello in the comments section said, man, if we can get one of those Alabama O-linemen. Well, another one while doing this podcast entered the, the, entered the transfer portal and Tommy Brockermeyer, who was a former top 10 prospect on uh, the 2021 class. Um, He's uh, he could he did not play at all. I don't think these last two se- or this last season with Alabama, the last two years at Alabama. Um, he's somebody who probably has three or four years of eligibility. I you know give him a call at the very least. Um, I know he doesn't have any Oregon ties, and that doesn't answer the original question. But you know I, I, there's going to be plenty of options here, and they keep coming every every time. I think we've broke or not broken, but we think we've mentioned two guys who have entered the transfer portal during this podcast. Um, Jabril McNeil from Oregon and then Brockermeyer. But you know, I, I think, you know, I've been on record in saying that offensive line depth is always really good. Um, that could be another guy. Uh, the Rhode Island player as well. I can't remember any of these guys' name right now. A, jo- but, a Johnny Cornelius. A Johnny Cornelius, a great name. I need to remember that. That's a good one. Um, he's another guy who, who's gotten a ton of offers. I think there's a story up on our, our website on duckterritory.com and at least on 24-7 Sports about – I was gotten 15 to 20 offers in the, in the first couple of days of him entering the transfer portal. Um, offensive line depth, I mean, we broke it down a couple of the positions, and I'm sure we'll answer more of those type of questions um, coming after the break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, looking through the chat here, um, Eric asks, Bennett Williams is out of eligibility too, right? Yes, uh, that is correct. That's why I think safety is um, a priority for Oregon. Um, Mike asked, are these guys that Oregon needs to go for for the portal? Yeah, that 
other hi guys realize these players you're saying Oregon gets will be on everyone's other quality programs radar too yes that that is yep. going to be the case you're gonna have to you're gonna have to fight off other schools in your conference nationally that's why like it or not ni collectives are going to be important some of these guys are making decisions because they want to win football games some of these guys are making decisions because they like to get paid some of these guys are making their decisions based off both of those um they want to get paid and they want to uh win big, big football games there's certainly a lot of areas Oregon could go with and i actually appreciate the fact that um Oregon hasn't kind of sprayed the NCAA transfer portal with a ton of offers. Um, I, I don't know if that's by design and maybe tomorrow we see 15 scholarship offers go out, but they've only made three so far, two of which went to FCS players before the portal window opened. Um, and that was because FCS players could go in before the window opened up for for FBS players, FCS, if you're unfamiliar, that's like a Portland State, a Sacramento State, um, Duquesne, Austin P type of a school. Um, where they go now, they've, they've offered one today as of 5.22 p.m. Pacific time Monday, and that was Kyrie Jackson, who they offered um, a scholarship very early in the morning. Now, Ryan's got the question. It's a great question. Go ahead. I was just reading the question and saying we should answer this. It's a really good question. You can read it. Yeah. Although it is a 45-day window, how quickly do you all expect things to start moving with these offers? Feels like a fine line to get the right guy but move quickly, and that's from Ryan Hodges. I think that's probably where a lot of these coaches, Oregon and across the country, are going to make their money and show who are worth it and who's – maybe not in a good position for that coaching role because this this is a delicate hand you play. I mean, you could you could see a player uh and and go like flip the script here. Deion Sanders went to Colorado and then like the very next day Louisville is now open. I would much rather be at Louisville than I would at Colorado. Like feels very, you know, but nonetheless if you're Oregon, like, do you go all in on a Kyrie Jackson? Maybe that's why they've been slow, you know, slow with these offers because they know guys aren't probably going to make decisions in the next two or three days unless they already predetermined where they're going. And right. it doesn't really matter if you offer them today, anyways. This this question reminded me of our conversation with Marshall Malco from back in August, I think, where he talked about the process of even offering a prep recruit and kind of all of the evaluation that goes into that, how they have like basically what, what do you say? Five people per every part of staff that can even, I mean, it's a huge staff of people that are going through a ton of film and, and trying to determine, do we like this? Do we not like this? Do, now, now, after you get through the first hurdle of, is their play on film impressive? You get to some of the character stuff, you get to how, you know, talking to players or people around them, kind of what they are as people. Once you get through that, you want to get them on campus. You want to see that you want to see it live. Just the process it goes through to offer a prep recruit based on what Malco said, I thought was really interesting. When you kind of break it down in the terms of the portal, you realize why maybe it does take a little bit longer. Um, because I know that there are probably technically 
not too many more players in the portal than there would be that you would want to evaluate in a high school recruiting class because there's a ton of players to look through and thousands of kids end up at major D1 programs. But the process of going through it like this as it's all coming out of who's actually in the portal, who's not in the portal, the uncertainty of, okay, do we want to start evaluating guys who aren't in the portal? I imagine this takes a long time to go through. And as uh, Malco said, there are the blue chip guys who anybody, I think he said, even my wife could look at and go, that guy's that guy's an Oregon caliber player. I'm sure that's the way it was with the three people they've offered already, right? I'm sure they went ahead and looked at Dre McKay, the receiver from Austin P, and said, guy's a gamer. No, everybody's going to want him. We're, we're comfortable offering. I'm sure they did the same thing with Cornelius, the offensive lineman out of Rhode Island, and then the Alabama corner, Kyrie Jackson. These are just no-brain offers. I think the process of continuing to make these offers, and we also have to note, I'm not sure that all the offers haven't been announced. Like, I'm sure there are players that have already had long discussions with Oregon, maybe have already kind of discussed an offer, maybe an offer has already been made that just haven't announced it. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, like, I think this is going to take a little bit of longer time. And to Ryan's point, there is a point of, there's a value of having due diligence of going through these offers. We know they do it from a prep perspective. We know they go through a lot of hoops before they extend offers, bring kids out for visits, all that stuff. I guarantee you it's a similar process, maybe not an identical one um, from a college perspective. And it also may be aided, by the way, I'm sorry to keep going here. I'll, I'll, send, I'll let someone else speak in a second. But some of the uh, ease of which you make an offer might be the result of having a prior relationship with this person or having at least recruited this person before. And that crosses off some of the, right. the, the hurdles, I guess. You cross those hurdles in different ways than going through the meticulous process it sounds like they go through. That's what happened with McCray. Yeah. That's what happened right. with McCray and, and exactly. Carlos Lockman. Right. Yeah, I, I, to Ryan's question, like how fine of a line it is, it, it's really fine just because you go through, you get the initial guys coming into the transfer portal and you see a lot of the big names. It's like, oh, I want to get this guy and that guy. Let's go talk to him. Well, down the line, there could be much better players who do enter the transfer portal. And, you know, that kind of gets you, you kind of get caught with your pants down because it's like, well, we got these two guys who play that position, but they're not as good as this other player. Maybe we would have had an opportunity to sign that guy or get an offer out to him and he would have, you know, potentially come to this program. Um, I think it's a really fine line. And I think that uh, to Eric's point and and the Marshall Malco discussion, um, you know, I think Oregon's going to take some time to truly evaluate and understand if there's a need for this guy on the team, if he's a good enough player to play for a Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy led defense. Um, but I, I think that they, they, they're going to move pretty quickly in this because they kind of have to, now, this goes back to our, one of our original points in the podcast of, you know, it's, it's almost signing day. Um, there's only so many weeks until it, that, that happens and they need to get guys underneath the scholarship limit and they need to get, you know, they need to know how many guys they're bringing on after the early signing day period so that they can either A, go out and recruit in the high school prep market or continue to monitor the transfer portal market. So I think it'll I think it'll be it's really hard to say if it's going to be like an immediate reaction to what Oregon does in the transfer portal. But it's certainly a fine line. And I'm, I'm interested to see how Oregon handles it this year instead of basically kind of scrambling, scrambling more or less to, to get it pull it all together and, and Dan's first year at the helm. <laughs> Matt, you're muted. Nope. Sorry about that. Kingston Green asks, how long before 
Will Stein leaves for um, his dream school head coach offer at Louisville. And he says it tongue-in-cheek probably, (laughs) but there's probably some reality to this. And I I think – and I'm not – I'm not trying to make this towards directly at Kingston, Uh, but part of the fan base, I don't know if he's included in this or not, but needs to get past the pre-Chip Kelly era of Oregon football where every assistant coach stayed at Oregon for their entire career because sometimes those coaches are really good and they just choose to be a position coach their entire career and other times those guys are nothing more than what they are as a position coach and i think the greatest accomplishment you can have and this is what dan said i think about the oc search before he made his hire like seven hours later um (laughs) was that they want to hire guys that are sought after they want to get guys that other schools want to come and hire from because that's a sign of a good program. What's a realistic expectation? I, I, I think if you get two full seasons out of Stein, I think that's good. Nick Saban, granted it's Alabama, it's not every school, but Nick Saban goes through like a coordinator. like He has to replace one like every year. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. sometimes it's every – it's. Both. Multiple coordinators yeah. every year. Yeah, um, you want your coaches to to know that. Just like recruiting, if I go and and you know, good players go to Alabama or Georgia because they know if they go and they perform well, they're going to get to the NFL. Just like that, coaches know. Hey, if I can go to this school, we perform well. I'm going to become a head coach. Someone asked me yesterday on Twitter, like, go back and look at the offensive coordinator history at Oregon that if you get this job, more than likely, you're going to become a head coach somewhere relatively soon, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's at Oregon because you've been elevated or you leave somewhere else to become their head coach. So I think get two years out of Will and anything beyond that is is pretty gravy. And if he's gone after one year, it means, hell, you had a really good season. Right. Exactly. If he's gone after one year, it also means Louisville cut bait with its new head coach, which they're just – I forget. Did they hire that fill that position, or did they just open up today? I think it just opened up because some that like Saturday former Friday. NFL player is uh, like their interim head coach, and they'll look that up. I, I just asked because uh, <laughs> the odds of, of uh, Will Stein taking the Louisville job in the short term would feel very Oregon. I, I think that's the point of Kingston's comment, I'm pretty sure, is it's just like, of course, Oregon brings in uh, – the last three major coaches that have left have all gone to, quote-unquote, their dream school, which happens to open up just randomly right at the right time. So, um, and, mm-hmm. and for those unfamiliar, Will Stein played at Louisville, uh, got his GA start at Louisville um, with co- in terms of coaching. So that, that, is a, that is a school to be aware of for him, probably in general just – schools in the southeast southwest texas is a place you spent he's a kentucky guy yeah kentucky texas i'm kind of that that part of the country is where he's from unfortunately Mm -hmm. i mean this is not to go down to too much of a tangent but we could of like this is the unfortunate thing for oregon if you're tired of of seeing your coaches leave 
it would be great if the state of Oregon or the Pacific Northwest in general just had a better overall high school football talent, had better college coaching talent that came from it. I mean, this is why Mark Kelfrich in theory was going to be a great hire because he would never leave that job to go anywhere. Unfortunately, he wasn't good enough at the job to keep the job because he, again, this is a guy who played, I think he played at Marshfield high school down in the state of Oregon. So uh, that was a guy who was never going to leave, but unfortunately he left because he could really crack it. Um, I'm having a lot of fun doing this, by the way, I just, I said it in our Slack message a second ago. We have never, we don't really do these live streams. Kind of fun. It's a good maybe time. We should, maybe we should do these more often. Uh, let us know if you agree, if you're having a good time. We've got like 215 people in here. We're an hour in. Um, I don't know what our plans are. Matt, Matt, you just uh, you've, you've been on a pl plane for most of the day. I don't know how much longer you want to you want to keep doing this, but um, I think in general, I'd like to do more. I think we should do more of these. Like I, I I'm I, having a good time with this. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's been a hit. I'm quite surprised at the number to over 215 people now, um, and a lot yeah. of those people have stayed on for the entirety of the show too, which is tremendous. Let's answer this last question real quick, um, and then we'll wrap it up, and we'll do another one maybe a, a little bit later on this week, or I don't know what day it is. We're going to play it on Sunday. It feels like it's Sunday because they always play Thursday, Saturday, but it's Monday, but it's 5 o'clock, and it looks like it's 12 o'clock out at night. <laughs> um, Bflow22 asks – Feels like Edge is a need right now. What are the chances Oregon goes after Elijah Judy recruited by Landing and his dream school was Oregon? Ah, the infamous dream school. We yeah. quite hear oh, that yeah. quite I often. Did. So often. Every recruit. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, if with Landing having the previous relationship, absolutely. I'm sure he at least considers it. Um, but beyond just Judy, it's it's can you find any edge player to help the program? Any player that can bring a pass rush? Because look at Oregon's commit list for the 2023 class. Guys, I, I don't see anybody on here that you look at and say, like, definitively, he's going to bring half the production that Kayvon Thibodeau brought as a true freshman. Oh, and yeah, I understand yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau was the number yeah. one recruit in the country. But, like, that's kind of what your baseline idea is here is, can you find someone that's a true freshman that's going to give you four sacks and seven tackles for loss over a 14-game season as a true freshman? I don't know if Oregon has that guy on its roster right now. They've got a lot of guys that could turn into good players in a year or two of development, but as true freshmen right away, that's a very tall ask. Edges. Numero uno for me in terms mm -hmm. of positions to address. Like you look at where they're at right now with the, the most recent um, players entering the portal. I don't know what Mace Funa is going to do. He could come back and be the starting and and so you know, basically full time starter. He basically split the duty with DJ and, and those guys were on the field together a little bit, but primarily it was it was one or the other. Um, does Mace come back? If he comes back, at least you know you have a starting caliber player. I'm not going to say he's an awesome player. Um, I think Funa, based on PFF, was a little bit above average, but not significantly better than that. Um, and then other than that, you literally have three true freshmen, uh, or I guess three players that will be freshmen in class. Jaden Navarrete uh, is a third-year freshman, um, I yeah. think. 
Anthony Jones and Amari Winston are also um, true freshmen who signed in the 22 class. You do have a lot of players, as Matt said, coming in in 23. But as he also said, and I'm in total agreement, I, I, I don't think you feel like any of those guys are surefire instant impact guys. So um, whether it's Elijah Judy, who for those listening, uh, I'm not, is, is he really an edge? Isn't he more of an interior guy? Or is that just a different part of the question? He's like a, about 300 pounds, if memory serves. Um, but he's an I know he went he went to AM, was part of that massive, massive recruiting cycle they had last year, that like Uber, Uber number one best class. Um, so like you you've got to find to me, you've got to find two or three guys in the portal at edge. You, you I, I, I think yeah. that is imperative. Uh, they just don't have the guys right now. Um, I see a person in the in the comments asking about Noah Sewell coming back. We've heard some possible positive things there. Um, if he does, can he play off the edge a little bit? Like, I'm just trying to throw out ideas. I don't know if he's quite – I'm not sure if that's a better fit or not. But, I mean, they, they are at a spot here where they really – like, I don't know if people realize how bad the pass rush was to close the season. They had three sacks over the last six games. They had 16 on the season. That's mm -hmm. as far as I, – I was only able to go back to 2005's tracking individual stats for Oregon football – from a sack perspective, that was the lowest. That's the lowest. It's almost lower than the COVID year. Um, you know, it, they they just couldn't get after the quarterback, and then you're going to lose potentially your two your, your, your two, two best, best pass, pass rushers, pass rushers yeah. in, in Doralis and then Johnson, and then maybe Mace Funa. So that's like your top three guys. I mean, like it could get really dire. They have to really restructure this edge stuff. Sorry not to get too much on a, a tangent here, but I I'm in total agreement with with B Flow. Like, edge, edge is number one. Punter's probably number two, just because you have to be able to punt the damn football. That'd be but, nice. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of all I have to say on the edge stuff. For for Judy, I mean, yeah, he was a high, highly touted freshman or a highly touted recruit. He only played in two games last year. Like Oregon needs solidified, bona fide studs to come in on their edge and help them out with their defensive line for all the reasons that Eric just went through. Um, they just weren't good. They they need somebody more than what what could be a potential. Because again, like goes back to one of my original points in the in the transfer portal discussion. A lot of guys that Oregon has in the transfer portal are those could be, but the potential guys, the high four stars, they need dudes who can get after the quarterback and get after the quarterback on a day to day or a game to game basis. Um, and whether that's Judy, whether they say they grab him from the transfer portal and he turns out. Uh, yes, production over potential from Colton. Colton Easy, thank you. Um, whether they grab Judy and he actually has production is, is will yet to be seen. Um, but I, I think that he's – I don't know where he is in their list, but he wouldn't be that high. I'd, I'd be going after somebody who has um, real, real production on paper and has established themselves as a legitimate defensive end prospect. Um, I want to go back through the comments section here. Sean Long asked a question where it's like, technically Louisville is open now. Are we sure Stein won't take it? Uh, Eric, this is at 5.32 p.m. if you want to put it on the board. Um, <laughs> here. Are, we, are we sure Stein won't take it? No. Am I sure? Probably, <laughs> just because Stein is a one-year offensive coordinator at UTSA. He's about to become – there we go. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. There I couldn't find go. it. I couldn't find it. I was scrolling <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> um. Technically, yeah, he could take it. I'd just be absolutely stunned. Um, Louisville, I'd be surprised if they took that big of a shot on Stein. 
Um, they've done, they lost their head coach to Robert Wiley says Jeff Brom might be, might take the job. Um, he, Cincinnati. He, he played quarterback at Louisville. Jeff he Brom did, did. Yeah. Um, Cincinnati poached their head coach, um, Louisville's head coach. So they need somebody there if you, for those unfamiliar. Um, but Stein is a, a one year offensive coordinator at UTSA who is just getting his first a real position or his power five job as an offensive coordinator at Oregon. I mean, at least according to reports, if he does well at Oregon, yeah, I'm sure that Louisville would take a look at him, but they're going to have to hire someone in the meantime. So while that job is open, I would, again, I'd be, I, I picked this question just because every, every time Oregon hires somebody now, especially offensive coordinator, it's the, the, the question that we answered earlier is how long until they take next job. Um, it won't be before, uh, it won't be, uh, who was it? Cliff Kingsbury, who took the job at USC to be the offensive coordinator and then took the job to be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals before he even stepped foot in L.A. I don't think that's going to be the case here with Will Stein in Oregon and, and if he takes a job at Louisville. Maybe he does eventually because he did play quarterback there and was replaced by Teddy Bridgewater, but it's not going to be within the next two weeks. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening to the pod. Thank you for watching the live stream. Uh, Had well over 200 people on our first one for a huge chunk of this show. Um, Don't really know when we'll do another one. We'll do another one based off of the results and certainly the comments um, throughout the show telling us to do more of these. Um, drop in the comments a comment of just what time frame you'd like these live streams to be available if you want to be on them. We'll try and accommodate that to the best of our abilities, but realize we have lives too. Um, but right now we don't because it's football season, it's bowl season, it's transfer season, it's recruiting season. Um, we're hey, we're getting we three drinks right now, and that is a Placidos is a, is a top I love Placidos. Big fan. Mm-hmm. Where is Placidos? Uh, I'm no it's good a, with directions, but oh, it's like what office fifth or something like that. It's pretty. Oh, good. it's in Eugene. Yeah, it's in Eugene. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wonderful establishment, fine Italian cuisine. Okay, okay. Well, that certainly feels like a, a possibility that we could make that trip, but we'll figure out when we go. <laughs> uh, thanks for the offer. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching the show. Thank you for asking questions. Hit that like button, subscribe to the show. We'll be back later sometime this week with another edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.